You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Thank you so much. Thank you, worship team. Can we give a round of applause to the worship team? We appreciate you guys so very much. Let me just start a timer on my phone so that I don't go for too long. <laughs> Wonderful. Good morning. How are we, church? All right? Okay, that was, we weren't expecting that. Are we okay? Give me, love it, love it. I hope we're okay at home as well. Who's enjoying the sunshine? Give me a wave if you're enjoying it. Give me a wave if you'd rather not. And yeah, some people aren't a fan. Who's melting? Yeah, people at home, we've got aircon right here, so I think we're okay. <laughs> so good to be opening the Word of God for us today. Also, just wanted to say before I dive in, a massive thank you to Martin and Esther and directors and elders who have nav- helped us navigate this time so wonderfully. I think we can show our appreciation. And to the staff team as well. I say this, um, yeah, what a, what a year plus it has been, but how, how exciting that next week we can gather together and lift our voices as one body and lift up the name of Jesus. It's going to be wonderful to be together. So, so good. Brilliant. I'm going to take us to um, some scripture today, and we are going to go back 2,000 years, and we are going to join Jesus at a dinner party. So if you've got a Bible or a device, head with me to Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, and I'm going to read from verses 36 to 50. It's quite a chunk of scripture, so it will come on the screen, but if you have something to read from or highlight, that would be brilliant. So Luke 7, verses 36 to 50. And it says this, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, 
Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If you are making notes today, the title of my message today is Greatly Loved, Greatly Forgiven, Greatly Loved. I'm getting my own title. Everyone say, Greatly Forgiven. Everyone say, Greatly Loved. Thank you. You're going to help me remember my own title. Now, this is a dinner party, right? I don't know about you, but the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me probably at a dinner party is someone having an allergic reaction um, to something that they ate. They were fine. But this is crazy. We've got someone storming in and doing this extravagant act of worship. I'll put this into a bit of context for us before I dive in further. Jesus, he was having dinner at a Pharisee's house. A guy called Simon, who was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were the religious leaders. And consistently through the Gospels, they stand often in opposition to Jesus. Leaders in the Jewish faith. The name Pharisees means separated ones. Why? Because they were examples. They were the exemplary ones of what it means to uphold the law. Their interpretation of the law, they saw as the best, as the right way to go. They taught in synagogues, and in the eyes of the people, they were the elite of the day, the ones who got it right, the preachers. They were were the ones to look to and be the example. So Jesus had been invited to Simon's house, who was a Pharisee. And for those who were esteemed or wealthy in the community, it wouldn't be unusual for a crowd to gather outside of the house or around kind of the courtyard of the house in the open spaces Especially for those that were religious teachers, it would be to hear the discussion and hear what was going on, hear what was said or how the law was interpreted, how the Torah would be discussed. But also, at the end of the meal, food was often distributed to the poor, any food that was left over. And so a woman who most scholars think was a prostitute, we don't know for sure, but she's described as a sinful woman, and everyone seems to know of this woman in the locality She shows up to Simon's house, Simon the Pharisee's house, and here she is. I I wonder how she heard about this meal. I wonder what she heard or why she came. We see why, but maybe she heard of him raising the dead and healing the sick. This comes in chapter 7 of Luke's gospel, and we hear a lot of what Jesus has done already. Maybe she heard of a group of guys lowering their friend down because the crowds were so big. And before Jesus sends him away healed in his body, he says to this man, your sins are forgiven. Maybe she had heard his preaching of the coming kingdom and a message of the life that comes in repentance. She'd heard of this one who's forgiven and she looks at her own life and she thinks, I need to get before this Jesus. I don't want this life. I need to get before him. This forgiveness of sins, this life in God, I want this. And so she comes. And so while at dinner, she comes in to the meal, to the table. And she displays this extravagant act of love and adoration upon Jesus by cleaning his feet with her tears. By drying his feet with her hair. Showering them with kisses and then anointing them with costly oil. Now, we might think, oh, maybe it was just the culture of the day to do that. No, (laughs) it was still, if we would see that today, we would be shocked, right? It would be astounding. We would be like, what is going on? And so would the people have been there. 
We can't contextualize ourselves out of this. But a bit of context makes this even more extravagant because this is all paralleled. If you read verses 44 to 46 to Simon, because although he'd invited Jesus for dinner, he hadn't done any of the customs, any of the things that show respect or honor to a guest. Not even the custom of cleaning someone's feet or having someone's feet cleaned. Imagine in the ancient Near East at that time, the dustiness on the sandals, the grime on the feet. And so when someone came for dinner, their feet would be cleaned. Yet Simon didn't offer this. He didn't offer a a friendly, customary kiss on the cheek. And why does Jesus tell us this is? Why does Jesus tell us that Simon treats him this way and the woman who is, we are told is sinful treats him another. Why? Because she understood the greatest of news. I don't know how much she got it, but she had caught something. I don't know how intricately she knew, but she knew that this Jesus had come and was declaring forgiveness of sins. He was declaring the kingdom of God and right standing. And she could not help but pour out her worship to him. In verse 47, it says this, Jesus saying, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. And then Jesus says, and I want us to catch this, it will come on the screen, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. I want us to catch this truth this morning. This These words have stayed with me in my Christian walk. I remember reading this in my teenage years and thinking, this is profound. There is a secret to being locked here, and it's not even a secret. Jesus makes it very, very plain. And yet, actually, it's so easy to ignore as believers, and it's so easy to forget. Because you see in our world, so often we love to sing about love and hear about love, but we don't often like to think about forgiveness. Maybe we like to think about forgiving others because it puts the power in our hands, because we're the righteous ones, we're the good ones. We like to sing of love maybe because it makes us feel lovable. I'm not saying it's wrong to sing about love at all. But when we think and sing or talk about forgiveness, it means that something's not right. It means that something is broken or has been broken, right? It means that we have wronged another. Forgiveness seems a little bit more sober, a little bit more serious. If someone tells you they love you out of the blue, it's like, oh, thank you. That's lovely. I don't know about you guys, but... If you want to tell me that, it's lovely. I'll appreciate it. But if someone comes up to you out of the blue and says, I forgive you, forgive me? What for? Or maybe your response is, oh no. What happened? But in your heart, like me, forgive me. I should be forgiving you. Or maybe it's just me. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Not just me. Thank you. But it's so important that we get this, because actually we understand then the weight and gravity of our wrongdoing against God. And if we understand our forgiveness and how we are reconciled in Jesus Christ and all that he has paid for that to take place, then the Bible tells us we will love much. We will love much. But if we don't, if we miss this, then love is going to be absent from our hearts. 
To know the love of God, you have to know his forgiveness. To know the love of God, you have to know his forgiveness. You will not have tasted the true love of God if you haven't tasted his forgiveness, church. Who wants to experience God's love for them? Wave at me. Who wants to love God more deeply themselves? Wave at me if that's true of you. You want to love God with everything you've got. Well, we're told the secret is being forgiven greatly. And maybe you sit here and think, well, then this means that someone who has lived a crazy life or a crazier life than I, they'll more experience the love of God. They've done more wrongdoings and a deeper sin or or they've done something crazy and they've got a crazy testimony and therefore they can experience the love of God more. And maybe you sit here and you think that, okay, if I need to grasp God's forgiveness more, maybe I need a crazier testimony. Please, please. That is not what I'm saying. Actually, if we tell ourselves that, or if we think that someone who has done something in moral law or in our societal law that is is greater or bigger of a sin, that they'll experience God's love more, it's just not true. The Bible makes it clear that this is far from the truth. Why? Because the Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you want to know how much you have been forgiven, if you want to know how costly your sin is and how deep your forgiveness goes and how much it required for you to be forgiven, you need only to look to the cross. Don't look to others and estimate where your sin stands, but look to Jesus Christ who poured everything out that you might have life. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus was pierced. He was crushed. He received a punishment that we should so that we might be forgiven. This is what we look to to know how deeply we have been forgiven. Our sin and our separation and the payment for that doesn't come at a variable price. Mine isn't more or less than yours. If you were the only person on earth to reconcile you back to God, Jesus would have still had to die. He would have still had to die. He didn't just die for those that have murdered or done things that we would say are unthinkable. He died for you. He died for me. Jesus, giving everything on the cross being humiliated by his very creation, being mocked, scorned, beaten, spat at, crucified. He did that so that we might be forgiven, that we might have life. So the truth is, each one of us has been greatly forgiven because we are all greatly loved. So if that is true, we have all been greatly forgiven Some of the question is, how deeply do we understand this? Maybe the love that is flowed, that overflows from our heart towards God and to others is actually not how greatly we've been forgiven, but how greatly we understand this. John Bloom writes this of this little scripture, that this little sentence reveals a mammoth truth for us. We will love God to the degree that we recognize the magnitude of our sins and the immensity of God's grace to forgive them. Wow. We will love God 
to the degree to which we recognize the magnitude of our own sins. We will love him based on how much we get our own brokenness. This isn't a self-help 101 talk, is it? Doesn't tell you to look in the mirror in the morning and go, I am broken. I am flawed. I'm not telling you to do that either. But actually, when we come to God recognizing our brokenness, we have an opportunity to experience the best love there is, to experience his forgiveness and the sweetness of communion with him. Because whoever has been forgiven little loves little. But whoever has been forgiven much, church, will love much. I want us to catch afresh the power of receiving God's forgiveness, recognizing how costly it is, and that the life and the life that comes from walking in this is a worshipful response, is a life-giving response. David, a man after God's own heart, he got it. Psalm 32, I love this. This could slip right into the Beatitudes. John could have said it last week. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. So we have been greatly forgiven. No greater measure of forgiveness. And so what a challenge for our love for God and our love for others. And to help us search our hearts a little bit further this morning, I want us to look briefly at Simon the Pharisee and the sinful woman and see what we can learn from their responses of one who embraced the forgiveness of God and one who hadn't. So firstly, Simon the Pharisee. Now before we get in a seat of judgment, I'm going to just say this to all of us. There is a Simon the Pharisee in each and every one of us. So before we kind of go, let's look at Simon because Simon's a bad person, just think, where is a Simon in me? Okay? I feel a bit sorry for Simon, if I'm honest. You see, Simon, he was a good man, and his commitment outwardly to God's law was unquestionable, and yet he had missed what was there for him in Jesus, and we see some ugly things in these moments with Jesus. Verse 39 in Luke 7, it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I feel a bit for Simon here because the Bible says, he said to himself. Now, I don't know if that means he whispered it under his breath or he thought it, but imagine having the things you whisper under your breath or the things you have in your head in scripture forever. <laughs> That would be awkward. It would be awkward for mine, definitely. Someone will be standing up here preaching about Luke the Pharisee and the sinner, all of them, all combined. But what's important is what he expresses here. We see some expressed attitudes in this. We see cynicism towards Jesus. If he were a prophet, he's invited him to dinner, not out of hospitality, but because he wants to disprove him. He wants to sit there and have a conversation and school him publicly. He wants to embarrass him and shame him. And he says, if this man were a prophet, by inference here we can say he's saying he's not a prophet. He's not who he says he is. This man is false. When we don't receive God's forgiveness, we can grow cynical towards God. We can grow cynical towards his word and what he says. We can grow hard-hearted. We might invite him for dinner. We might go and we might even spend time with Jesus. And yet when Jesus says something to us, 
we question him. We question what he has said and we ignore him. Why? Because there's pride in our hearts. Why? Because maybe there's a place in us that is cynical towards who he is. And I'm going to give us an opportunity at the end of this. We can come and bring these things. Maybe these things resonate with you, and I'm not trying to heap condemnation. There's a moment that we would have today to come before Jesus in humble adoration. What else do we see from Simon? We see judgment towards the woman. He says, what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. He labels her as a sinner. Now, we're not talking about reasonable rationale here. This is about superiority. It is about arrogance. It's about looking at someone and saying, I am better and you are this. It is about being judge, jury, and executioner. It's making conclusions about why someone does something in the way that they do it. How easy is this to do? Okay, just me again. It's fine. It's about assumed correctness. And a few other things, we see the condemnation in Simon's tone. He's written her off. He's written her off. And maybe we're like that. We see people and we look at them from afar and we write them off. Or we think, I'm worthy of God's love. But look at them. Look at how they parent. Look at how they live their lives. Look at how undisciplined they are. Imagine if that's the sort of atmosphere that would be created as, as more and more of us come back together together. I don't want an atmosphere like that, church. It creates a lack of empathy, a tainted love for God, questions God's love for others. A distorted gospel even comes because it places our saving grace on ourselves, on our works, on what we've done. This is not the seat that I want to be sat in, but it so easily creeps. So easily creeps. And the antidote isn't to just fight harder against it. It's to come and acknowledge our brokenness before Jesus. When we sit low before him, when we kneel low before God, he sets us right. What then about the sinful woman? I'm so challenged by this woman's bravery. This woman's decision to get into the space with Jesus. You see, if we capture something of what Jesus is about and his forgiveness, we seek Jesus out. Verse 37, it said she had learned. She had learned. She had made it her business to find out where Jesus was going to be. And she wanted to get before Jesus. Those that love greatly, they want to get before him. Whether in their private time, whether congregationally, they want to get before Jesus because they know that's where life is. She was focused on an audience of one. What was pleasing to Jesus was more important than how she looked. Can you imagine this? The scenes at a massive dinner party with lots of people waiting, watching, listening, hearing. And there she was pouring out worship, weeping before God. She didn't care who was around. Why? Because of her beautiful Jesus. She came and poured out extravagant worship. She came in repentance. She came in desperate need. And what happened? She went away forgiven. Her love was evidence of her forgiveness, but not the basis for it. Verse 50 states clearly that she was saved. What? By her faith. Her faith in coming to Jesus. She was extravagant 
in what she poured out because she already captured something of what he was going to pour out for her. And there's a challenge for us here. We're going to take a moment to all of us, wherever we are, to look upon Jesus the Savior for ourselves. And we have to decide which seat we are in. Maybe some things have resonated with you from either side, but we have an opportunity to come humbly before God and receive of this forgiveness afresh so that love might be provoked in our hearts. I'm going to invite us to stand to our feet. I'm going to invite the band to come and join me. You see, church, it's so powerful when we can begin to understand that we are greatly forgiven and we are greatly loved. But there's some practical things with that because to know you're forgiven, you have to acknowledge your brokenness. Like the woman, you have to come to Jesus. Like the woman, there's forgiveness waiting for you, not condemnation or shame. And so I'm going to invite you in the room and at home, maybe to close your eyes, maybe to open your hands to receive. Maybe you know today that your heart has been filled with pride. Maybe some of these things that mark Simon mark you, and you know, I need to, I need this to be set right, God. I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit that His love would fill your heart today, that you would be overwhelmed again with His forgiveness. So Holy Spirit, I pray we invite you into our midst today. We thank you for the truth of your word and thank you that we are greatly forgiven. Thank you, Lord, that we look to you, Jesus, upon the cross and we know, Lord, that by your blood shed and your body broken, everything that was ours to pay has been paid. Lord, I pray, would you, by your grace, Holy Spirit, come and put your finger upon pride. Come and put your finger upon condemnation in our hearts or a lack of love towards you or others because, Jesus, we want to be free from it. Lord, we want to walk freely this week from our own pride, maybe from our own shame. Lord, we invite you to come and we pray, Lord, that you would minister to your children. We pray that you would continue to hold us and keep us So Jesus, the Savior, we fix our eyes upon you, knowing that you see us and you hear us.